Amen. There's a saying that we all have heard a million times, and it's this. Think outside the box. Right? At work, at school, in relationships, being creative. We're constantly told to think outside the box. What does it mean to think outside the box? What does it mean? Okay, good. To start thinking on your own. What else? What does it mean to think outside the box? No one thinks outside the box here, huh? Be unconventional. Be unconventional. Good. What else? To think outside the box. Original. Okay. What else? Don't accept what is the norm. Think outside the box. What else? Follow your instinct. Okay, what else? Think outside the box. What's that? Without restraints, without boundaries. Now, isn't it funny to, to be original? That was what one person said. Do you know what the funny thing is? Is when you think about it, that one original thought we have had, someone else has had it in the past. But here's a problem with thinking outside the box. When we are told to think outside the box, we are said, dream big, no limitations. Funds are endless. So when you go to work, you're told to think outside the box. But the truth is, is that we all have a box, a context in which we have to work in. I mean, think about this. If your boss tells you, hey, I want you to think outside the box, be unconventional, be original. Okay, then give me an unlimited budget. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what I said. Think outside the box. We all are told to do that. It's what we want to do. But here's something I've been learning about over the last, over the last couple months. And it's really better said to not think outside the box, but learning to think inside the box. You see, in all of our lives, we have context. In all of our lives, there are, there are boundaries and parameters in which we are supposed to live and to work in. And here's the thing when it comes to God. Oftentimes we are told, be in a relationship with God outside the box. Figure out who God is. Do things your way and then God will meet you where you're at. There's a problem with that. You see, in all of life, there's a box that God has put us in, that God wants us to know him and make him known. And so for us, as we are Christians, as we are a Christian church, better said, there's a box that we look into every single day called God's word. And it's in God's word that we learn to know him and make him known. And the one topic that we're going to continue to talk about this morning, we need to learn to pray inside the box. We need to learn to see God and how God works within his scriptures and not our mindsets. In his ways and not our ways. Because when we understand how God actually works in his holy word, it's often more outside the box than we believe. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
1 Samuel chapter 1, page 163 in your, in your seat Bible. 163, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to talk about a man named Samuel this morning. And we're going to look into his life and see how oftentimes, if, if I was to tell you that God was to speak to you and to guide you in ways of Samuel, you would say, Rob, that is so outside the box. That is so outside my context. But this morning we are going to learn how God actually wants to speak to us. How God wants to lead us. How he wants to be our direction. So do me a favor, don't look at the verses up here because I want to jump to some other passages. Turn with me to what, uh, chapter 1, 1 Samuel. Chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah, in the region of Zeph, in the hill country of Ephraim. I hate all these words. I mean, I had to practice these in my office this morning. I'm like, Hisha, hucha, Can't be like Pete and John. They went to Mawa. He was the son of Jeroboam. Now I totally messed myself up. Whatever. There's a dude named Elkanah. He has two wives, Hannah and Peneah. Peneah had children, but Hannah did not. Stop right here. Children in Scripture were a sign of God's blessing. So whenever a woman had a child, remember last week Kurt talked about childbearing and how all of us guys were like, thank you God for making me a man. Children in scripture were a blessing of God. And so when a woman was, had a child, she would, she would say, wow, God's hand is upon me. I see that by, by what he allowed me to create with him. So if a woman didn't have a child, she thought that she was condemned by God. That God was punishing her, that she was a lesser of a woman. That she actually wasn't a woman, but she was looked down upon. And oftentimes when, when a woman was unable to conceive a child, they'd say, oh, that's Hannah over there. You know, good Christian gossip, pray for her. In other words, she's got issues. And so Hannah's whole life was walking around as, as Panea kept having babies after babies after babies. And, and every time Hannah's thinking, God, what did I do wrong? And so one day she went to the temple. Verse 9, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. So Hannah went to the temple with her husband and his other wife. And if you go back in the, in the first, first, eight, first eight verses, Elkanah's other wife would, would always mock Hannah and put her down and, and make her feel like lesser of a woman. 
And so when she showed up, Hannah, to the temple, she just cried. And you ever, you ever cry so hard that you just can't stop, that, that you can't even speak, and, and just everything's falling out of your body? And, and she was crying out to God, and Eli was watching this, but, but what was actually happening was nothing was coming out of her, her mouth. She was so upset and so consumed with her, with her anger that she just said, God, in her spirit, she said, if you give me a child, I will dedicate this one to the Lord. He will be yours. I won't even keep him. I'll hand him over to the temple. And if you keep looking in the story, matter of fact, as Eli watched Hannah praying, she, he thought she was drunk by the way she was behaving because she, she wasn't behaving properly in the temple. But here's what was so neat is that God knows our hearts. And we have to believe this, that God gives us the desires of our hearts when we are his children and we go before him and we seek him, he gives the desires of our hearts. And Hannah consumed the child. And after she consumed the child, she did exactly what she had said, that she would bring this child to the temple, that she would give this child to the temple to be an assistant to Eli, to do all the work that was required of a temple of assistance. So let me give you a little background on Eli because we can't know the whole story without knowing who Eli is. Eli was a very unique individual. He was a relative of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' assistant. Matter of fact, he was a grandchild of Aaron. Eli was unique that he wasn't just a high priest, he was also a judge. Oftentimes, this was not the norm. Matter of fact, you either were a judge or a high priest or just a regular individual. But for some reason, for somehow, Eli had this special privilege of being not only a high priest, but a judge. He had a lot of power, a lot of authority. Eli had two sons. Look at chapter 2 with me. Just flip the page over. Verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. You see what his sons did, his sons had to become priests. It's almost like Brandon said to me a couple weeks ago, he said, Dad, if I didn't become a minister, would you be upset with me? You see, when, you, when, when you're a priest, your children become priests, and you're in the, li the lineage of the, the royal priesthood, but what was different between Eli and myself is I went to Brandon and said, Brandon, dude, you don't have to do any kind of full-time ministry. All I want for you is to love Jesus and serve him with your whole heart. Be a physical therapist. Be a lawyer because you're great at arguing with me. Be whatever you want. Matter of fact, I kind of want him to be a lawyer so that he can take care of Big Papa when he's older. But for Eli's children, they had to be priests. They didn't have an option. But what his sons had done was they became very evil. Whenever people were about to make a sacrifice, they would go to their houses and they would, they would, they would send their, their helpers and, and their servants because high priests were like gods. They were like, they were like royalty. They were like kings. And whatever they spoke, they believed that it was God's word. So if I went over to your house and said something like, whoa, we got to do what Pastor Rob says. It was the same thing for Eli and his sons. But you see, his sons were evil because they would go to people's houses and they would steal the choice meat. They would go to the temple and as they saw vulnerable women, they would, they, they would seduce them. 
All the things that God was against, stealing and adultery, these, these priests were involved with. And Eli knew it. But he did nothing about it. Great parenting tip. Eli knew what his kids were doing wrong, but he would not step in and fear their reaction. So now we kind of move the story ahead, and I've got to give you the full picture because this is the significance of Samuel. Samuel was born to a woman who was not supposed to have children. This woman dedicated her son to God and said, he's yours, everything, take him. He's one of yours. He's not mine anymore. Just allow me the privilege of giving birth. Now, being a man, I have no idea what that means. I have the privilege of being a father, but I am thankful that I never had to give birth. And so she went through the whole process of having a child and weaning the child and bringing the child to the temple. And Samuel was a very unique child. He did everything that he was asked. The opposite of Eli's sons. Chapter 3, let's jump to it. Chapter 3, and now it can be flashed up here. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. And here's the key. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And visions were quite uncommon. You see, back in, back in the Old Testament, God only spoke to particular people at a particular time for a particular reason. It wasn't this flowing presence of God all the time. He would, he would come down and speak to a priest, and that was it. And then he would go. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? So God calls Samuel. Samuel hears this voice, Samuel. Who does Samuel think it is? Eli. So he runs in and he wakes him up because he's such a good servant. Yes, what is it? How can I help you? What do you want? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. The only way that I envision this has been this summer. Every single night, my youngest child, who I will not tell his name, comes into our bedroom about 10 times. Mommy, mommy, Lukey, go back to bed. I just said his name. And by the last time, I'm like, dude, go back to bed. Or you're going to bed at 9 o'clock tomorrow night. I didn't call you. Eli's is so peaceful and calm. He's not like Rob Parker. Samuel did not know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So here you have it. God is beginning to speak to Samuel. 
And rightfully so. Samuel's like, who is calling me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing to Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. So here you have it. You have Samuel waiting in bed. Is God speaking to me? On the flip side, you have Eli in his bed who God never spoke to as we know saying, oh my goodness, God is speaking to his people. You wonder if he's saying, why not me? Why him? So Eli's in bed waiting for God's voice. Samuel's in bed waiting to hear the voice of the Lord. And Samuel says, speak Lord, for your servant is listening. Now think about this. If the voice of God ever called your name, what would you want him to say? What would you want him to say? About your prosperity. About your holiness and your perfection. What a great mother or father you are. And how the people of your neighborhood worship you and call you blessed. Here you have it. The voice of God speaks to Samuel, telling of the future destruction of the high priest and his sons, and that nothing can stop him. If I was Samuel, I would want to know, how's my family? What do you have in store? What are the plans you have for me? Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me hope and a future. But here you have it. Samuel is told about the destruction of Israel's spiritual leader. You wonder if Samuel got a good night's sleep after that. Because what was he going to do with this information? Samuel stayed in bed until morning. (laughs) Didn't say he slept. Stayed in bed till morning. Then he got up, opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide everything from me. It wasn't like, hey, come here, let's talk. Tell me everything that God told you. He's like, and if you don't, you will die. Think about being Samuel. Do you tell him the whole truth? Half the truth? Or just blatantly lie? 
You ever have that sense where you know something bad's happening in someone's life and you know you're supposed to warn them? What do you do with it? I had a situation years ago, years ago, you know, pre-plant, pre, you know, I had like one kid at the time. And God had told me something about someone very close to me who was dating someone. And this person was just a living nightmare. She was manipulative. She was just, in many ways, just evil. And I knew that, like, if I don't warn him, this dude's getting married. And his life is going to be a living nightmare. And so I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I said, God, there's no way I can tell him. So I just thought, what's the best situation? So I said, I'll take him out to a really nice dinner. I'll manipulate him. So I took him to Winberries and, and Ridgewood, thinking I can kind of woo him there on a, on a youth pastor's salary. And he knew that. He probably thought that he had to take me out. But I'm like, no, I'm going to take you out. Let me, let, me, let me surprise you. And I remember sitting across from him. And we were talking and laughing. And of course, he was being crazy. That's because who this person is. And I said, dude, I got to tell you something. I realize I'm going to tell you something right now and you're going to reach over the table and you're going to punch me out. I said, I'm going to let you punch me and we'll be okay. But I got to tell you something. And I went into this thing that I really felt that, that, that I saw through just watching this person and how they behaved and, and how they manipulated my wife and how they manipulated the, uh, other people and his family. And after I said everything, I'm just bracing myself, even though I was bigger than him, I was bracing myself. He said, thank you. I needed to hear that. That week, he broke up with her, happily married, two beautiful kids. But I remember that tension. Can I just lie? Can I just manipulate it? Can I just somehow finagle my way into this conversation? So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. Here's two things I want us to learn about prayer this morning. Oftentimes when people come to the plants, and I'm I'm saying this with humility, People say, Rob, dude, you are so outside the box. Like, like where do you come up with this stuff? Like, you say, like, God speaks. Like, like, like if I fast, like, I should fast. Like, like, where did you make that up? Like, what's fasting? I've never heard of that before. When we hear someone that, that has something new or fresh to say, we say they're so what? Outside the box. This is inside the box. I say this humbly that in my journey of faith, I live inside the box and the context of God's holy word. And when it comes to prayer, the box that we as a church look into and study And search out. It's not human mysticism. 
but God's spoken word to humanity. And the most inside the box thing you can hear this morning is God speaks. He speaks. Just like he spoke to that teenager on the bus on the way home from Young Life Camp. And oftentimes, like the prophet of old, we want God to scream at us and shout at us. And, and so the prophet of old goes up into the hills and he stands on the mountains and he's, and he's waiting and he sees thunder and lightning and storms and everything loud. And we're saying, that must be God. But then he goes into this little cleft of a rock and he hears a sweet little whisper. You see, believing inside the box, believing inside the context of Scripture, is believing that the living Creator speaks to His greatest creation, humanity. And in our evangelical, Bible-believing context, we say that God only speaks through Scripture and through others. Oh yeah, and doors that open up. You ever realize that sometimes those doors that open up are the doors that lead to a cliff? Do you ever think of that? Do you ever think that sometimes you walk through the door and you go, oh, no. We look at scripture, the holy scripture, and I would hope, I would hope that as we look at Samuel and all of the men and women of Scripture, that the way that God would speak to them, He would speak even louder to us. Why? Because now, because of Jesus Christ, we have His presence, His Holy Spirit living and dwelling, not only amongst us, but within us. You see, the day that I, gave Je- the day that I said, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I breathed in, Jesus, you're my Lord, I breathed in His Spirit. And His Spirit awakened me. You see, this whole situation that Samuel did not just happen to Samuel. Believe it or not, it even happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh spoke to God in dreams. Sorry, God spoke to Pharaoh in dreams. And all throughout the Old Testament... God spoke to his people. I mean, look at Joseph and Mary. What happened when God spoke to them? What did they say? They said the very same thing that Samuel said. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So as young children, as they heard the stories of Samuel, and they heard the stories of men and women of the old, and they heard that when God speak, how do they reply? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Not that that's the genie, but that's what they were used to. That was a story. They didn't have the written word. They had, they had the verbal translation. And so through all throughout Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelations, think about Peter in prison. God woke him up. And he walked him outside of the prison. And when Peter woke up outside the gates, he thought he was what? Dreaming. An angel of the Lord. Come here. Said, Peter, come on. Let's get up. And he walked him out. Unlocked the doors. And when he pushed him outside the gate, he went away. 
grab a seat. Good job. Awesome. That's what we have to believe. I'll never forget one night, it was about four in the morning, and I've been saying, God, you gotta speak to me. I got a lot going on. I have things in life, and I'll never forget. All of a sudden, I heard this, this, I kid you not, and I jumped up. And she was like, whoa, whoa, I said, someone's at the door. And I ran to the door, and when I ran to the door, I stopped. And I said, it's you. And I just stayed up the rest of the night. Knowing that God said, I love you so much. I had to bang on your stupid door to get you up. Men and women and teenagers. This is our box. This is our box. Not experiencing God by J.R. Packer, even though he's awesome, or Blackberry. Not knowing God by so-and-so. Not this book or that book or this Bible study or K.R. Three, even though these are great people. Your context to know God is here. And the second lesson we learn from Samuel is simply this. Listen. Listen. For some reason this week, I just felt God saying, Rob, the plant needs to listen. And we get so caught up in telling God the things that I want and I need and you want and you need and we want and we need. That we oftentimes miss hearing the very voice of God. And when we miss the voice of God, we miss His presence. This past fall, matter of fact, throughout the last four years, we've been fasting as a church. And the reason we fast is we learn to listen to God. We give up little things or big things or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But we say for 21 days, let's pull away from this world. And let's say, let's begin to listen to God. Do you realize this fall, there was a, there was a point during fasting that I was in my side yard. And this was one of the times that Sue said, don't you ever say this at the plant. And I was sitting on my side lawn and I was freaking out. I'm like kicking the stones. I'm like, I, I sense something bad coming. Something's about to happen. And I don't know what it is. So I went inside and I told Sue, she said, don't say, just don't even go there. You're going to freak everyone out. We're just trying to grow. Just leave it alone. And Rob sighed. I'm like, no, I got to say it. So I called up my, uh, my guru, Mark Shishmanian. And I call him up and I'm just like, Mark, I'm feeling for one another and care for the world around you. Do you remember that Sunday? That Sunday? We stopped church, we regrouped as a body, and we took care of one another. How do we, and I, and I can only tell these stories because that's the only stories I know, they're my stories. But the neat thing about that one story was Mark's story was connected with it. Mark was praying and sensing and listening to the same thing, and, and just somehow they just kind of intertwined. We as a body, we as individuals, need to learn to listen to God. 
And when he speaks to us, he reveals the truth of what he's saying. Thinking inside the box. We need to start learning to pray inside the box. We need to start believing that we need to learn to listen inside the box. In the context of God's holy word. That's the beauty of what we're doing. That's the beauty of Josh's song. His song is what God has been speaking to him over the last couple years. What's the song that God is speaking to you? What's the message and the direction that God is leading you into? If you don't listen, you won't know. Kurt, I think you're, are you leading communion today? Yeah? Okay, come on up. Here's what I want to do is we are going to use this time of communion as a time of saying, Jesus, speak, your servant is here. Matter of fact, we have the privilege of calling him, speak, your child is here. If you are a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to the Lord's table. If you're here for the first time and say, I'm hearing God's voice in the midst of what's going on, I want to invite you to the table too. Because you're saying, I want to know him and make him known. But if you're here and just saying, here, I'm here to listen. I'm here to take in. And just sit back. Trust what's going on. That God and his word longs to speak to each one of us.